Welcome to The Upload. I'm Alison Bektesh. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're well. This week... On November 4th, the incident rate in Pitkin County was 202 per 100,000. December 4th, 878. And as of yesterday, it was 1,458. We learn more about the emergency COVID-19 restrictions put into place in Pickin County. We get a first-hand lesson on how to sanitize a gondola. And we hear about the disparity between the general population and the Valley's Latino community when it comes to COVID-19 incident rates. Thanks for listening to The Upload. Joining me for The Upload today is our editor, Megan Tackett. Hi, Megan. Hey, Allison. How are you? I'm good. And Matthew Bennett, our reporter. Matthew, thanks for taking the time. Thank you all so much. Always a pleasure. And happy Merry Christmas Eve to both of you. Merry Christmas to the listeners who are listening. Happy holidays. Yeah, happy happy belated Festivus. Merry Christmas. All of it. (laughs) Was that a Seinfeld joke? If so, I love that. I will say I saw more Festivus posts on the internet slash social media this year than ever before in my life. I didn't know it had a real date, but it must have been last night because that's when it was blowing up my feed. I think the public desires so much to party, to have cheer in their life that they're adopting any holiday, including those that were talked to us in the 90s by a comedian. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> so, so Mary cheer. Um, so th- we're going to focus today on the COVID restrictions in Picking County, because I think there are so many questions and it's so ad hoc and we have so many newbies in town. This is it. This is the week we've been talking about since the resort shut down March 14th like at least let's get better by Christmas. Cause this is it. Like this is when stores make their money. This is when restaurants make their money. This is when people get the biggest tip of their life, their Christmas bonuses, all the visitors coming in. This is what makes Aspen Aspen for the season. So here we are on the brink of that major week, Christmas to New Year's and Matthew Bennett, the board of health had a last minute emergency meeting on Monday to declare a new stage of restrictions. Right. Yeah. And it, 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 it caught me off guard because I was looking to plan my week with stories. And then I saw that you had messaged me being like, hey, they're having an emergency meeting. And I, I, I was hard to believe because they had just met last Thursday. And then it was almost as though it was a, you know, a misprint at first, but it couldn't be further from that. There was, um, again, a lot of community members uh, who attended the meeting and it was only scheduled to last about an hour, but it played out for well over, I'd say about two and a half. And wow. they they were one, one vote away at one point, one vote away from completely going into the red, which would have uh, effectively shut down restaurants essentially other than takeout. But I think knowing that there was a lot of people coming to town, I mean, a lot of the, the hotels and stuff were reporting about 50% capacity. But, you know, even with that, um, if you have all your restaurants closed, it, it may have some unintended consequences. Um, so I think that was them kind of coming to their senses just from a practicality point of view. But there was others on the other side who clearly looked at the data from some front range communities that had gone entirely into red. It clearly was effective. You could see the decline in incidence rate. But at the same time, all those restaurants are are indoor dining is closed for the holiday. So um, I think Pitkin County is really just trying to thread that needle. They're, they're really trying to help businesses, but at the same time, protect 
community health. So before we get philosophical about this, and trust me, I have a lot of thoughts. Um, <laughs> let's let's make it as clear as possible for our listeners as to what you may or may not do with the level that we're under. So the state has these different colors. And if the state tells you, the county, you need to be in this color, then there's also a chart. That means this for gyms. That means this for shopping. That means this for outdoor gatherings. And, and we are hovering between orange and red. Red is not even the worst, but red is one of the restrictions. So um, what instead happened was Picking County kind of elected to straddle these two colors themselves before the state comes down and, and restricts us all the way to red. So what are you allowed to do or not do? Right. Um, I'd say the easiest way probably to look at it is, you know, you can still go out to eat, but it's going to be 25% capacity indoors. Um, I think the biggest thing you might realize that's different is there is when you go out to eat, they're only going to sit people from the same household at the same table. It's a little unclear what a household is because a household doesn't necessarily mean your family members, especially in Aspen, right? Where you have such a community of people who are sharing rooms and things like it's, it's, it's literally who you live with essentially. Um, but other things, the, the other big one is, you know, just no indoor events, period, end of story. Unless though, and this is where there was some um, confusion, unless your event was already approved, and evidently there was about seven, including a gingerbread event, which drew some <laughs> ire, but um, unless you had that event already approved, it, it can't happen. And, and kind of to show you the, the intent here, even Aspen canceled fireworks. And the whole reason was, even though, you know, you could watch it from Mount, they, they didn't want to encourage gatherings. Um, it's my understanding Snowmass is still doing them, but I'd say that that really is the biggest way to look at it is, you know, stay with your own, only your household. You can go out to eat, um, but yeah, you have to sit with your only household. And they're still adhering to the 930 last call and 10 o'clock formal shutdown. You know, if you're looking to work out, it's going to be 10% capacity at gyms. That really doesn't affect me, but offices is, is 10% as well. And um, one thing I did want to point out that I think the seriousness of this was really in the incidence rate. On November 4th, the incident rate in Pitkin County was 202 per 100,000. December 4th, 878. And as of yesterday, it was 1,458. So skiing still happening. And I think they're really just trying to send a message without shutting everything down. Um, so... Megan, you've been covering the Board of Health since this began, um, and I'm wondering what your take when you, um, with the emergency meeting and this this new Orange Plus Plus made up level came through, is this our Board of Health being genius and strategic and making everything work, or is this a pattern of trying to please everyone while not really nailing it or making it so confusing that adherence and compliance goes down? Um, I definitely think there is a lot of confusion out there. Um, per usual with our Board of Health, I think that the best of intentions were on display. Uh, I think the execution probably didn't go as smoothly as they wanted because the day after that emergency meeting, I was on the editing desk and a Picking County alert went out that basically was just a recap of everything that both newspapers reported. And Matthew, I thought you re reported very well about the Orange Plus Plus, which basically is red level restrictions for most sectors, but 
restaurants were still able to operate at that 25% indoor capacity. Um, so this Picking County alert went out and the headline basically said, Picking County goes into red level restrictions. And so panic, right? <laughs> uh, just absolute panic. And so I did, I felt the need to write a little news brief, just clarifying for people, no, no, nothing has changed. We're still in orange plus plus, quote unquote. Although I think as long as we're making up levels and avoiding officially red they could have gone with something more festive right like i think a nice burnt cinnamon would have been uh would have been appropriate but um but you know i did it i spoke with our county manager john peacock our public information officer tracy Trulove, for the county that day as well and you know i part of me had to smile a little bit on the inside they were so upset yeah, no, we wrote it all out in the article. I don't understand why people just read the headlines. I couldn't help but think to myself, welcome to my world. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it did. It, it, it caused a lot of confusion, a lot of panic. Um, I even had some of our sales executives texting me that day, telling me what is going on right now. Our advertisers, our clients are waiting to hear what the Board of Health is actually going to do before they make their ad placement decisions for the coming week. Because, you know, like you said, Allison, this is the week. So everyone was, was on pins and needles, even after the meeting had happened and we had designated this orange plus plus kind of void, I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, there was still a lot of confusion. And I found myself having to write clarifying uh, little news briefs the next day. And I still think that there's confusion out there. So um, I got the impression that that emergency meeting was the Board of Health collectively realizing, oh shit, it's almost New Year's Eve. It's not actually Christmas they're worried about, it's New Year's Eve. Uh, if you go back historically and look at this, you can see our summer spike the data usually is about, there's about a two week lag between the event and then the COVID-19 case data catching up to that event. Our summer spike was the two weeks following 4th of July. The superintendent of Aspen schools told me verbatim on the record that he blames Halloween for the schools having to get shut down in November. Um, I think that everyone realized it is almost New Year's Eve and we have shut everything down. And so rumors are spreading like wildfire that uh, there are all kinds of illegal parties happening. Um, and, and, you know, I, as much as the county has been education first in its approach, in its approach to enforcement, um, particularly with some of the restaurants that have broken some of the rules, right? They always lean into, well, let's educate, let's not be punitive. Uh, I heard a very real 180 shift in tone from our health board members on that regarding catering companies and companies that would typically uh, elevate a private gathering, let's say. Um, I, I, it was the first time I heard Marky Butler, for instance, the health board chair, just say, we'll yank their business license. I mean, they were really, really gung-ho on ensuring that um, no, you don't get to have your million dollar privately catered New Year's Eve party um, because it is limited to your household and the number of visitors that you're allowed to have outside of that household is exactly zero right now. Um, so that was the impression I got was the emergency was they woke up and realized, oh my gosh, we had just had, Matthew, like you said, that previous Thursday, they had had their health board meeting and I don't think that they feel that they had sufficiently um, addressed the upcoming 
party holiday of the year, right? Right. So like any of the restrictions as we've gotten tighter throughout the cold weather coming in, um, if these new restrictions are drastically changing your behavior, if you are bummed about these because they are going to change your plans, I guarantee you, you're the reason we have these restrictions. You haven't been paying attention to the five person limit, the 10 person limit, um, you know, staying home when you're sick, the, all the things that were already in place. It's because people haven't been paying attention to those that our incident rates are going up. The people who are going to be bummed that you can't have a huge rage, rager are the ones who already were having ragers for Halloween, for 4th of July, right? So in a way, um, if you're very disappointed about this, you are the problem or we're going to be the problem. And I, I feel confident saying that. Um, <laughs> that's probably the most uh, positive thing I will say about the Board of Health decision-making in this, in this way. But I wanted to start with that. Um, Matthew, you pointed out the, the biggest difference right now is that household restriction. And so on a really serious side, I'm devastated and scared for every one person household that we have in this community. What does that mean if you live alone? If you live alone, that means you're gonna be celebrating whatever you celebrate alone. Um, but again, I think there's a lot of interesting ways people can look at it too. You know, why well, Germany and their, um, they had some advertising I saw too, that was fascinating. They said, you know, in a lot of previous generations, they had the, the wars and this and that. And, and their sense of humor essentially said, you're being asked to stay home, get takeout and watch Netflix. And I feel like there's this really kind of awful picture of, you know, we're going to spend the holidays alone, but then back in the day when we had holidays with our families, we seemed to just hate it as much. So <laughs> I feel like there's kind of some weird messaging and, um, but, but you're right, you know, it will be a difficult holiday, one household, that's one household. So if you live by yourself um, and picking County, but it would be naive to think that everybody's going to follow along with that. Megan, do you have thoughts on that? I mean, we've tried to keep a pulse on mental health throughout the entire pandemic. Yeah, I um, when you when you mentioned that when you said what happens if you live alone, that word alone kind of sent chills down my spine, right? Um, because there is very real COVID fatigue, and I know that we say that to the point where it's almost become <laughs> COVID know, fatigue fatigue buzzwords. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but you know, it has it's, it's been almost a year of this, and it will be more than a year of this before a vaccine becomes readily available to the general public. You know, we're looking at summer of next year, assuming that rollouts continue going smoothly. And so um, I, I do, I think, I think being in that moment of, of the big winter holiday season, right, is just gonna put a magnifying glass on any feelings of doubt or loneliness that people are already having. Matt, you um, said that when we've gone to red in other counties in the state, it has helped that incidents have gone down. There was a talk around Thanksgiving era times, I guess everything feels so far away, um, <laughs> about, about how concerned we were that holiday gatherings were going to lead to what we already saw were rising cases. There's a huge backlash, including a protest on the streets from the restaurant community saying, don't you dare put us in red. Um, with Megan pointing out our two week delay, hindsight being what it is, 
I, I guess I'm curious from both of you, like would red having gone to red when we first teased that maybe we would go to red allowed us to keep this last month clean enough that we could have gotten to orange for the holidays instead of this weird straddle phase? That's a tough one. Um, that's a good question. I, you know, the, the data, the, it, it's very clear. Usually the incidence rates in orange, they just kind of growed or plateaued, you know, it was kind of just, it not much progress, but yeah, red, there, there was clear. I mean, it was like last, you know, the wave crashed, the roller coaster dropped, if you will. This um, was breaking news on Monday when the public health meeting was called last minute. Since then, what have you guys heard from businesses who were relying on people coming and probably having parties in their rented mansions, but also coming in and shopping at stores and all that? Um, or uh, our local public or our visiting public, what, what has this had an effect on how people are going to operate this week? I can say that there was, um, I think it was a mix of a lot of anger and also a lot of understanding. I think you saw really two uh, polar sides of the spectrum. Frankly, you had some people who were just livid that the public, um, the Board of Public Health came within one vote of shutting them down. You know, this, this will work. This will bring the cases down, but it'll also bring a lot of the money down. And that's just the reality of the conversation that they're having. So I think you're really seeing both sides. From what I've seen, the difference in responses that Matt, you were just talking about, um, correlate almost directly with the size of one's net worth, right? <laughs> um, um, and you, you are, you're still seeing the 1% of the 1% able to go in and shop and able to go dine out. And you know, they're able to live their lives um, much more routinely than the restaurant worker. Um, and, and, um, and as far as responding to the public health orders, I've noticed that the responses definitely trend along income. Okay. I mean, the only reason we're not in red is bullying from the restaurants. And I'm not saying that that wasn't for the good of the community or not, but you, it's so clear when you look at the restrictions we are in that um, it, it's whoever was the loudest or whoever we think brings the most money into Aspen. You, as a single person, you cannot get together with the same person you've been seeing for nine months now in a restaurant or in your own home. But if you want to go buy a home, realtors are still allowed to show you a home. You can still go, go see a an open house. That's one-on-one -on -one with a stranger, totally allowed. One-on-one -on -one with the person you love, not allowed. And I think that, you know, my final thoughts on this are the same that I say every time that, the, the logic behind the rules that we are under is I think what's going to cause the non-compliance because if someone doesn't understand it or doesn't follow the, like when there's that stark of a contrast, then you start to make up your own rules. It's, it's like, well, the board of health made up their own rules based on who their friends were. I'm going to make my own rules based on who my friends are because it's not fair because it doesn't seem, it doesn't make sense. Literally you can have more people indoor at a gym class than outdoor at an exercise class. There's just parts of this that are, that aren't teased through enough that I think the public is going to still, still make up their own minds. You know, I think there is a, a lot of like save yourself mentality these days. 
I definitely think we are seeing the individualism in uh, American culture. That is certainly true. Um, I, I'm going to take this opportunity to jump on the public health soapbox, though, um, and just remind everybody that if you are feeling COVID fatigue, um, it's only going to get worse before it gets better if you don't adhere to those commitments. Well, I don't want to take up any more of your time, and I don't know if we made it any less confusing, the restrictions that uh, we are now physically under here, but I do appreciate both of your time um, and giving us some deeper thoughts on this issue. Thanks so much for having us, Allison. Thank you all. Up next, the Aspen Skiing Company has adapted to ensure skiers and snowboarders stay virus-free while on the mountain. One of the new tasks disinfecting a gondola. I tagged along to see exactly what that entails. You are listening to The Upload, the weekly news review from the Aspen Daily News. Remember, if you don't want us to talk about it, don't let it happen. I'm Allison Bektesh. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. You can drop me a line at upload at aspendailynews.com. Up next, the Aspen Skiing Company has adapted to ensure skiers and snowboarders stay virus-free while on the mountain. I tagged along with Greg After, who runs the show at the top of the gondola, to see what exactly that entails. So you're one of the people who are tasked with doing this twice a day? Yes, I am. Uh, And the way we've decided to split it up is the lead at the bottom of the gondola. We'll usually set up his crew in the mornings, um, free open to public and they'll spray all the cabins then, and then uh, I do the afternoon. So I do it anytime between 12 and 1 or 1.30, depending on what the day's like. Today was a beautiful day, so I decided to start early. Is this something you perfected during summer gondola? Is it the same thing, or do we have to adapt for winter? They had a bigger backpack-styled sprayer, apparently, and um, they, were, they tried using it early in the season, I was told, and it was uh, freezing. The nozzle would freeze on some of those really cold days. Today, not being as cold, at least in the sun where I get to stand. Um, So they bought, they ended up buying, um, and I I know you don't have a picture, but it looks like a kid's uh, ray gun. You look like you're about to blast some ghosts with this thing. It's definitely pretty close to that, yeah. Because usually the cabins are empty, so I have to imagine all the little germies (laughs) in there stuck to stuff. But um, yeah, it just, it looks like a gun. It's got this liquid, but I, I pulled the trigger for two seconds. Uh, we have all the windows open all day long. We try and reopen them on the cold days especially. But I stick the nozzle and the gun inside as the cabin goes by me, hold the trigger for two seconds with a little swirly motion, and uh, that that's supposed to be it. I'm so excited. Let's see this in action. Are you ready? Yes. It's going to blow your mind. And we got a red gondola. We'll do it on the red one. So basically, as you see, It's, it's, unfortunately, it's very underwhelming. Oh, I just found the telephone as well. Oh my gosh, we saved a cell phone! We saved the, we saved someone's cell phone.
saving lives left and right today. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's a good day. No sunglasses, but cell phones for sure. Greg, thank you so much for your time. That was my pleasure. Coming up. How do we return to a post-COVID environment where we are challenging the ecosystem and we are repairing and rebuilding systems to ensure that these inequities are eradicated? More in a moment. You are listening to the Upload Podcast from the Aspen Daily News. I'm Allison Bektesh. Also this week, the Colorado avalanche season has gotten off to a deadly start. Backcountry conditions remain unstable. A Picking County commissioner has accused Garco County commissioners of stonewalling COVID-19 precautions. And vaccines have begun distribution to Picking County's frontline workers. All of that is online at aspendailynews.com. Finally, the Hispanic community in Picking County makes up about 10% of the population. Yet, at times since the COVID-19 outbreak began in March, the group has accounted for 40% of positive cases. I spoke with Alex Sanchez, executive director of Voces Unidas de las Montañas, about the reasoning behind that. Spoiler alert, health disparities in the community were here long before the pandemic. Picking County, you're absolutely right. 10% um, is, is the population. Uh, yet we ha- always have been at the very least double, if not almost triple, uh, wow. the amount of cases. Eagle is the same thing, right? We represent about 30% of Eagle County, and the numbers um, now are at 40%, but we've been higher. And I think wow. e- even with their with their admission that the data probably doesn't reflect the earlier cases because Eagle was a little bit, you know, late in. In, in, okay. in capturing race and, and ethnicity. Garfield County, uh, we also represent about 30% of that population. We've been as high as 70% oh, of all COVID cases. And so I think what this highlights is the inequities that have always been there. You know, it, it, it's not that COVID discriminates based on <laughs> race and ethnicity, is that people who are in, in vulnerable situations because of the systems of how they were designed and the outcomes of these systems, meaning people don't have enough money to be able to buy food. People don't have enough money to buy health care. People uh, you know, live or work, live in, in conditions that are substandard, that don't have the same you know, access uh, to resources that, that, that many other people do. Uh, people uh, don't make enough money to buy a, a home. Um, instead, we live in multiple families. We, we live in you know, in mobile home parks, the, we, we don't make enough money to have our own transportation. Therefore, we have to take public transportation, but further exposes us to more people. And so I think what COVID has done is just highlighted all the vacuums, all the gaps, and all the inequities within our communities. And I think all of us um, should be called to say, how do we, um, you know, not return back to normal but return to a post-COVID environment where we are challenging the ecosystem and we are repairing uh, and rebuilding systems to ensure that these inequities are eradicated. People should be able to afford to buy food. People should not have to be forced to work low-wage jobs where you don't get benefits, where you don't have protection, and where you don't have, you know, um, you know, uh, sick pay and health insurance provided by your employer. Well, you don't, are not making enough money to, to, to get a home that provides the safety and security and access that your family deserves. 
Um, and so I think those are the things that I think COVID has highlighted. Um, and it's no secret why essential workers, i.e., a lot of them are Latino, why essential workers are the ones who are being impacted the most. We are the ones who have to use public transportation. We are the ones who have to work as housekeepers and in construction sites. We are the ones who have to work in restaurants on the front end and the back end. You know, we're the ones who probably have the least access to health insurance provided by our employers. We're the least likely to have access to actual health care. Therefore, we have, um, you know, comorbidities and chronic disease that has been untreated for many, many, many decades. You know, we are the ones who uh, live in housing where you have multiple families, so you have density in a lot of these areas. And because we're exposed to the virus more so than those individuals who have access and power and who can Zoom from home and work, um, we get infected out in the community and then we come in to our, to our families and then that's how diseases also spread um, through communities of color. So great, we're transitioning right into some long-term solutions, some reconfiguring of these long-standing, you know, exclusions that have led to what now is is literally life or death. I'm a little worried that we're all going to get vaccinated and move on. Like, how do we start? How do we make sure that this isn't a, a whoopsie, and then the people who are fine kind of forget that this was ever a problem? Yeah, I think it starts with with, with being with being real and acknowledging that. We cannot go back to normal, right? Um, you know, going back to normal is not an option, right? That should not be the plan. It is how do we how do we build back to a post-COVID environment where we are um, tackling uh, some of these systemic inequities that we have seen uh, because of COVID, right? They weren't created by COVID, but it just highlighted them and it exacerbated a lot of them. And so how do we tackle those big picture stuff? How do we ensure that people are not being kept in low-wage low jobs? Yes, we need construction workers. Yes, we need front-end you know, staff at restaurants and hotels. But we have to also be able to be mindful that we will want humans to um, and take their full potential and make sure that people have more and more opportunities every single time. And so what are we doing in terms of workforce development to make sure that we don't have an entire population being kept at low-wage jobs with no insurance, with no sick pay, and in one of the most vulnerable situations um, in positions in our community, in substandard housing, without, you know, without, you know, adequate transportation, without adequate access to health care, in low-wage jobs that do not allow you to survive in a valley that is so expensive to live in, um, and, you know, and in, in, in how do we also start addressing all of the other systems? Um, you know, how do we ensure that the ecosystem of nonprofits is better responsive to the needs of the community? How do we get the community to actually drive um, the type of programming that, that, um, that nonprofits should be doing? Um, because in other communities, you would see the ecosystem of nonprofits step up and do all of these things, workforce development, and moving people up the economic ladder, getting people out of you know, vulnerable situations into thriving. Um, and I was here, I lived here, I grew up here, I've been left for 20 years, and I've come back. And unfortunately, I've seen people live in the same conditions, people live in the same situations, and no lack and the lack of opportunities and the la and, and just the power imbalance that exists in this valley is just unacceptable. It's unacceptable to me, it's unacceptable to those of us who created Los Sunidas, and it, and it should be acceptable for all of us. It's, and, and it takes all of us working together 
to make sure that we're thinking about how do we move forward uh, in a post-COVID world um, so that we all create a more equitable Rowing Fork Valley. It's sounding like another theme of leadership, like the, we, there's people who aren't at the table. Right. It, and that's what, that's what we were created, right? We were created to do advocacy, to create, to create a pipeline of leaders. And our theory of change um, on leadership is, is very simple. We believe that, you know, systems benefit the creators of those systems. So whoever designed it and the architects of those systems are probably the folks who benefit from it. Um, and so we believe that if we, if we begin to diversify the architects and designers of systems like in government, running for public office, like nonprofits, getting board members at the nonprofit, uh, nonprofit level, at the board of directors level, um, that we can begin to uh, get the systems to react because the architects and the designers of those systems and the decision makers will now be diversified and new perspectives and new visions will start to influence those systems. And instead of starting with, let, you know, now we got a bilingual secretary, can we get a bilingual other person? That's a, that's a, that will take us 300 years to change that, that <laughs> model. So we want to start from the top because I think some of these changes really have to be done um, systemically. Some of these changes have to be done intentionally, and it has to start at the top. That's excellent. I can't right. thank you enough for your time. Thank you. Take care, Alex. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Upload. I'm your host and producer, Alison Bektesh. You can subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Do you want to be on the show or do you have thoughts you want to pass along? Write to me, upload at aspendailynews.com. Thanks to Greg After and the Aspen Skiing Company, Alex Sanchez, Matthew Bennett, and Megan Tackett for being on the show today. This is the Upload Podcast from the Aspen Daily News. Listen, discuss, decide, and stay healthy. Stay healthy.